This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. We all have our own story about how this mysterious thing called Enneagram found us and what state we were in when we first encountered it, and then the kind of cataclysmic upheaval that it caused in each of us. This episode is about Aaron and me and the Enneagram, how we would define this thing in the first place, what it's good for, and why we think it's worth bothering with. It is an imprecise tool that serves you better if you don't hold it too tightly. And your job is to sort out what parts of it serve you and what parts are better just left. All Erin and I really want to do with this podcast is to have a conversation together as two eights. So we're basically interacting with this thing right in front of you. And you might find that some of it resonates and other stuff won't resonate at all. Take it, leave it. We really don't care. We're just happy to be having the conversation in the first place and genuinely happy that you happen to be along for the ride. Hi, everyone. Hey. Erin and Joe here. So good to be here. This has been so much fun. We are loving this. So we were more excited than ever to get back in here to record. Erin, how's your week been? Uh, I've been battling sickness, so I'm I'm a little bit under the weather, but I'm coming around. We have theories about this, though. Well, why why do we think you might be battling sickness? I need to rest, and my body's telling me I need to rest, and I'm probably still ignoring it a little bit too much. But well, I suspect that the episode that you all heard last week is what did it. I think we all were the denial. Episode, we were yeah. pretty wrung out. Yes, I think you're right. You yeah. came right after that. So mm-hmm. yep. we both walked away from recording and slept for 10 hours straight. And <laughs> it actually felt so heavy. It really did. Yeah, which really backed up everything we said. <laughs> Maybe we'll get better at it, right? That's my theory. We just have to practice. Life goals. <laughs> oh, How was your week? Yeah, right. My week. <laughs> uh, my week was all about my sister actually it's her birthday week and we always go away and celebrate her and as I've spoken about before I just I feel so deeply for her I just came away loving her so much she is growing she practiced telling me hard things this weekend I was so thrilled she was being honest Mm -hmm. and open with me that there was nothing in me that felt defensive. I felt love. Yeah. And I asked her to do her nine scan thing and say, so how, how do I feel? What's the vibe you're getting off me? And she's like, you feel wide open. Aww. I was like, there you go. I think this is where we're heading, where you start to open up to me more, ask for help more, yeah. um, call me on stuff more. And I'm going to be more and more gracious and accepting. I feel like this is going to be a new trajectory for our relationship. So it was, it was a good sister week. Well, yeah, nice. for sure. This, in a way, is kind of our season opener because um, what we are devoting this season to is basically picking apart the Enneagram system from an eight lens. So we're going to go through every little thing and speak about it from an eight voice and get your input because maybe at the end of all this, we'll be able to maybe write a book or something that helps eights really dig in to their work that they have to do through the Enneagram. 
We're going to talk about how we came to the Enneagram, how we understand the Enneagram, and what we did with it in the past few years that we've known about it, our favorite resources, and just kind of a high-level view from an eight lens and what we think it can do for us and for the people who love us. Mm-hmm. When you think about the Enneagram, how would you define your understanding of what it is, what it isn't? It's a place where I can go to learn more about why I'm doing what I'm doing and the motivation behind my actions. And then to be aware when I'm reacting to things, why it is I'm reacting that way. And therefore I can change it. It's given me permission to change my behavior. I love that you said that because a lot of people will answer it's a personality system. Mm. And an eight intuitively migrates towards things that equal growth. Right. And breaking out of stuckness, right? And so I totally agree. If I had to define it, I would say the Enneagram is nine basic patterns of compulsive self-protection and the nine basic ways to be free from those Mm -hmm. patterns. As we know, there are many spinoffs, right? There is your wing and there's subtypes, but there is a typology to the way we compulsively protect ourselves. And it starts when we're little kids. And then what's beautiful about the Enneagram is it is nine pathways for you to become self-aware and then push out of those patterns. Mm -hmm. The big hormone Enneagram podcast, y'all, I'm going to, I'll give you the caveat later on on that podcast, but it's one of my favorite. I love the term y'all. Can I just borrow (laughs) y'all? I will be a Canadian girl saying y'all. Oh, I love it. Okay. So on the big hormone Enneagram, they're so cranky (laughs) and they're so dark, but oh my goodness, I love those guys over there. They say the Enneagram is the antidote to your type's bullshit patterns. Oh, I like that. And that can't be more eight really, but that's it in a nutshell. Like the title of this episode, it's it's about being punched in the face by your own crap. I do feel like that's right. And we as eights, I think we respond with, yes, that kind of feels good, like bad good in that funny way that we feel about things that are true and we can't deny that they're true. And then we're like, what do we do with this? Mm -hmm. Um, It's about no longer telling ourselves who we are. Instead, it's about learning to know who we are. So we do this thing where we have a narrative about who we are um, that we start to build when we're little. And the Enneagram strips that back and makes you see the narrative that you've been telling yourself and then makes you question it. Mm-hmm. So you ask questions about these. And we're going to talk about this next week in our episode about how we build identity and the ways that can lead to us being trapped and stuck and not self-aware. I love the Enneagram for the fact that it points out the narrative that you're telling yourself and then invites you to go ahead and step on out of it. So the Enneagram has been presented very spiritually a lot. And yet a bunch of people who aren't faith people have come to it and gone, no, there's truth outside of spirituality here. And I would agree you can use it whether you're from a faith background or not. But I suspected all along that there was actual science here because it was too systematic. There's something too too systematic about it. And the coolest thing happened. I heard an episode of a podcast with a neuroscientist. His name is Jerome Lube. Maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he basically has realized that if you look at the Enneagram map with the numbers and you flip it upside down and pop it onto a brain, brain, Mm -hmm. it completely maps onto the brain. So it means that eight, nine, and one live out of the brain stem, the amygdala, (laughs) the reactive center, 
the survival center. And then right brain is two, three, four, which is your emotion center. And then left brain, which is reasoning and thinking and rationality is your five, six, seven. Yeah. So I am in the middle of starting to really study that. And I would like to have an episode on it and maybe interview him. It turns out that Enneagram is science. I knew it was. I knew it is. So that didn't surprise me at all. For sure. So I think there's a spiritual element, a psychological element, but there is also that scientific element. So I'm so excited because there's going to be a lot more research coming out about it in future. So stay tuned. So let's go back and talk about the first time you heard about the Enneagram and what your immediate response to it was. (laughs) So Joe and I were on the top of a mountain and we're drinking sangria. (laughs) It was a very steep mountain and a lot of sangria. (laughs) Beautiful view. And Joe started asking me, have you ever heard of the Enneagram? So I had never heard of the Enneagram. And then you started asking me all these eight questions like, are you like this? And are you like that? And actually really hard for me at the beginning of researching the Enneagram because I had just come out of, you know, being sick the few years prior and slowing down a lot, but not being comfortable in my own skin a lot of the time, which is so foreign, I think, to eights. It took me a while to really settle into me being an eight. Did you mistrust the system or did you immediately think there's something here? I think I thought there's something here. I I am always willing to explore anything that might give me insight to me. Yeah, me too. Always. Me too. That's what I found. As far as I've heard, most eights are totally willing to at least give it a shot. Yeah, at least explore it, right? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So I told you my Annie-a-gram story in a previous episode, so that's how I heard about it. And when I thought about how quickly I accepted it, I think part of it is that I found it by myself. (laughs) (laughs) It was a neutral party. It was a podcast. So that's not threatening at all. So I immediately started looking into it wide open heart, mind, soul, and all that, and jumped right in, completely (laughs) dug in and read all the things, including really complicated philosophical things. I went super deep and hard into it. I immediately recognized that there was something true about it. They were describing my inner life in a way that nobody out there in the world had ever done. Well, I think they put words to things we didn't know there were words for. Right? Don't they say that? It gives you language. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which is what we're here to do is fine tune the language to eights, right? Because um, if a two is writing about it, they're not going to get it quite right. But an eight writing about it will be more likely to get it right. And all of you can help us really start to fine tune the language. A piece that I did poll you guys on was, do you even care about the origins? I can't care. I couldn't care less really about where it came from because I just know it works. A lot of people are resistant to it because the origins are kind of mysterious. And I don't care. I, I don't care. I'm like that with most things, though. Uh-huh. If it can help me and I'm in. grow me, I'm yeah. in. I don't need to know the history and the... Yeah. If it's something I can use to benefit me at this time, then I'm not interested in getting into the nitty gritty. For sure. So a lot of the faith community that Aaron and I are familiar with is very resistant to this because of the origin story of mm-hmm. it. I have been trying to get across to them that there are so many things in life that they are using that have shady, untraceable origins. And are you going to stop living because you can't authenticate exactly how something came into being or where it came from? And I just, I'm too practical for that. So there's a lot of authors that I'm happy to read who do not at all share my point of view on a lot of things, but I can glean the good out of it and apply it to life. 
how did we feel when we first found out that we were type 8? When I first heard of the Enneagram and started to look into it, I loved being an eight. I was so proud of that. And I think even you and I, Joe, we talked about how we would, we would, don't, wouldn't want to be any other number than eight. We were so happy we were eights. <laughs> and then we dove in deeper. And I think I started to become a little bit ashamed of some of the eightness and some of our attributes and how we bulldoze people. And we are not always aware of the way we put ourselves out there and hurt people in that. And so then I think I went through this time of feeling frustrated that I was an eight. And now, Later on, having learned so much more about the Enneagram and studied so much more, I am once again happy to be an eight. I feel like the Enneagram has given me permission to be me. Not in a way that we are allowed to bulldoze people and run over people, but once we're aware of what we're doing and we can be sensitive to the people around us and how they receive us, and we can rein that in a little bit, I think we have so much good work to do in the world and we are going to make change. Yeah, I think I'm really proud of being an eight now. And I am thankful that I, I feel permission to be me. Yeah, I would say when I read through the different types and got to the eight, I read all the character traits, and none of them sounded particularly negative, which is a funny thing, because I think all the other types would read things like intense and angry, all those things they say about us, they would see those as really negative. But for me, it's the waters I swim in. And so I didn't think that sounded bad. It just sounded like me. Initially, I would say I was proud. Because of course, they describe eights based on the things we value. So naturally, I was happy to be aligned with things like strength and all of that stuff. But then I remember at about the eight month mark, maybe a year in, I started to get really uncomfortable with a lot of the things that I was learning about myself. And I started to feel kind of sick of my eightness. I kind of saw it as tired and old and like I didn't really want to fall into the same old habits. I think that's a pretty good thing. And that's when I really started to grow. I think there is something to be said for growth really starting to happen when you're no longer in love with your ego, I guess would be one way of putting it. And now I think I'm at the point where I simply am. I see pretty clearly how I was built, what I was made for, what my strengths are, I know what to avoid, and I have more patience with myself and with the process of growth because I've got more of a bird's eye view. I can see where I came from, the kid I was, how I got here. It's a good place to be right now. I can honestly say that there is no other type I'd rather be, that I am really grateful for the way my brain works, the way my body works the way my soul was knit together. Really happy to be me. When you heard about the Enneagram and started to dig in, what were some of the parts that were either difficult for you to grab hold of as an eight or that just shocked you, just surprised you completely? I think the anger of the other eights, listening to eights, because I don't feel like I have a lot of anger. In a day-to-day realm, I don't feel like an angry person or hard. I don't feel like a hard person. I think I'm a really approachable, nice person. Okay, so that's super interesting because I had both of those down too. The first being that I kept wanting to adjust the word anger to irritation or annoyance Mm. because that's how I experience anger most of the time. I'm not patient. I think a lot of us aren't patient. And so that was what I was rewriting anger in the Enneagram literature to be in my head. It was like, it's we're just 
quick-tempered, but it's in little bursts. It's nothing. But at the same time, do you remember when I did have an experience where anger really hit? I asked you to describe how anger feels in your body. And we had the exact same way of describing it. Our head goes black Mm -hmm. and then color and tingling fire radiates out from our head and chest to every part of our body. I was going to say to the fingertips. Even our fingertips. Exactly. So there's like crazy hot energy, but my mind is blank. That's anger for me. My head shuts down and it's all body. Yes. The scary part is our head shuts down. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you're angry and you're not thinking? Really scary to think about. Absolutely. But I think that's what happens with AIDS. I don't think we do walk around ragey and angry all the time. But when it hits, it's a full body experience. That second piece is when I heard that AIDS give off a wave of energy or there's like a presence about us, I I thought that they've made a mistake because I don't feel like I take up a lot of room. I don't feel like I am intimidating. And yet when I started to ask people across the board, there was, no, no, we, we notice when you're there, for sure, even if you're quiet. One friend said, it's like the room is somewhat tilted towards me. Like they're listening yeah. a little extra hard to what I'm saying and she can sense it. Did that surprise it. you? Shock me. Yeah, because I, I feel the same way. I've had people say the same type of thing to me and it shocks me every time. What? Because like, I'm not aware. So I think the way the literature describes us is we walk into a room with swagger and here I am, especially seven wings. It's like a Gaston. Really? Yeah, they describe us as <laughs> I Gaston. I just don't see And that is I... not it. It's more subtle. I think it's this subtle, low-level kind of we are grounded. We are here. We know who we are. But it, it is not intentional and it isn't very showy. I'm sure there are showy eights out there. I think but... you're probably right. It is just that I'm not aware, right? And I think part of that is our confidence. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking around the room to get approval. I'm not... That's what I think people feel. We just are. That is what the intimidation factor is. For some people, and to other people, it feels like home. Right. Right? They, they come to us because they sense, I just am. And they want to be around someone that just is, right? So right. we already talked about denial in the last episode, but that was a really hard piece for us to wrap our head around as well. Even since we've done the denial episode, there are things I do in a day... I actually think we're in denial a lot more than we realize. Yeah, yeah. We think we're aware, Joe and I. We're pretty aware of denial. I don't think we're actually aware. (laughs) You know that saying, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So I think with denial, that's what we're going to discover is we're going to start to see it everywhere. And that's good. That's a good thing. It's time. Can we give each other permission to push on each other a little? So if you see an area that Aaron and I are not grasping and you can see it clear as day, just tell us, say, I don't, I don't know if you're seeing that clearly and we will be so happy to receive that. And likewise do it for each other. Maybe if you see a comment online that feels a little bit like an eight that doesn't really understand that they're hiding something or whatnot, maybe we can give each other permission to push on that a little. And I think we'll do it well. I think we need to. I think you all are amazing. Podcast. We're only seeing it through the lens of Joe and Aaron right now, yeah. right? And even Joe and I differ on some things and we bounce things off each other. But you guys are, are our other sounding board and there's so many of you. And I have to say, like, we just love you guys. Let me try that again. We are so interested in all of you and your lives. And we're so appreciative that you're there because you all seem so valuable. 
Okay, I'm going to totally use this as an opportunity. Erin adjusted her language because she felt vulnerable. So I'm just going to say it. We love you guys. You feel like sisters. You feel safe. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to leave you men out, though. We know there's a few of you. Please keep listening. Spread the word. I had an experience that confronted my denial this weekend. I, I felt like I'd gotten something all wrong, and I didn't listen to my gut. And a friend, she could tell that I was moving all the hurt up into my head and I was not letting myself really feel it. And she looked across the fire at me and she said, hey, what's happening over there? And I said, I I don't want to talk about it. Give me a few weeks. I'll talk about it. And she said, no, no, right now. You're going to do that right now. Yeah, because we love you and it's safe here and I want you to do it. And I wanted to run away screaming. Oh. It was so difficult, but she she made me bless her heart. And I started to talk about it and started to cry about it. And I felt the true depth of how sad I was about oh. what I'd missed. And I think that is the learning lesson here is we need safe people who are going to stop us in the moment and force us to grapple with our feelings. And it's so scary. Okay, so in the Enneagram, we're often spoken about as being brave. Do you feel brave? At first, when I heard that, I was like, yes, they've got us right. (laughs) Brave is a word I for sure would have used for myself. And then the word fearless started cropping up, and that one felt more true. And I put them side by side, and I said, okay, what's the difference? And I realized... Being fearless is not something I can pat myself on the back for. Being fearless is the absence of fear. I can't choose that. I was born that way. And the reality is, I think in a lot of insane situations, it's a denial piece. I shut down the fear factor and I just actually don't feel fear. fear. Well, I I didn't do anything to create that. It just happens. It's like an autopilot thing. I think that has been one of the best things about the Enneagram. It's given me a lot more compassion to those who feel fear because they feel weak to me or have always felt weak to Mm -hmm. me. But now I realize that they're no different from me other Mm -hmm. than I just have this ability to not feel it. But does that make you brave? But there are things that we aren't fearless about. And I feel fear in my body, but they're always relational. It's if I think I've hurt someone or if I'm afraid I'm about to be rejected publicly or something, I feel the same sensation in my body that someone would feel if a lion was running at them. Mm. But in those situations, it's a lion, whatevs, you know, oh, I die, well, I don't I'm die. A, I might be afraid <laughs> of the That's lion. so funny. Yes. <laughs> I don't feel fearless in those situations. Just intelligent. But <laughs> anyway. How brave are we right now? <laughs> Like doing this? Just throw ourselves out there. Well, here's the thing. I'm talking about it like a story. So it actually doesn't feel vulnerable. And you guys aren't in the room grappling with me. If you were in the room when I was facing a moment where I was actually afraid, I'd be so uncomfortable that you could see it. The window that I had onto the difference between brave and fearless is my phobic six friend. She has fear all day, every day. It's a constant presence in her life. And I watch her over and over do things that she's afraid of doing anyway. See, that's brave. That's brave. That's brave. Yes. I don't feel like that's us. No. So I would actually say sixes are our examples of brave because they're doing things in spite of fear. We are fearless. Very different. Yeah. Very different. So the truth is, 
I long to one day be able to say I am brave and fearless. When we feel the fear, we need to stop and say, okay, here's my moment. I'm feeling it. Am I going to do it anyway? Am I going to walk into that space where I'll be rejected? Okay, once we had this newfound wisdom of the Enneagram, what have you been doing with it ever since? Um, I want to tell everybody. Okay. (laughs) So people think you're weird. (laughs) So I don't tell everybody. But um, what did you actually do? Where'd you start? Who did you go to? I did talk to my husband about it, but he was so complicated. I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) During COVID, I had two friends and we walked and we each listened to podcasts constantly. And we all came back to walk together almost every day. That was really fun, actually, because two of my closest friends dove in deep. Mm -hmm. I didn't share it with a lot of people, but I did share it with my close We have that in common. I definitely went straight to the people that I thought were receptive enough, open enough, deep enough, (laughs) and wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't judge me for it. I'll be honest, right? I come from a background where there's a lot of judgment. Mm -hmm. I started with safe people for sure. And you you mentioned that you did start trying to type your family. Yes. was also one of the first things you did. Yeah, I did the same. And it just like didn't go over super well. <laughs> I have a nine husband and they find it really hard to see themselves. It was hard. And then the, the kids, I'll agree with Suzanne Stabile on that. There is something dangerous about typing them young. So I just did it quietly. I just stared at them a lot. There was a lot of staring at them and like lining up what I knew about different numbers with them. And I've got them all figured out, but I didn't make them take a test or anything. Do you resonate with this? I have a seven friend and when she types people, it's completely a thinking exercise. So she can basically draw on all the things she's ever read and she will think her way through. This person must be this because of this reason. That is not how we type. No. We type based on our gut. Yes. It's the way someone feels. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) I think what happens is we feel the energy coming off of people and we've started to create an energy database Mm. in our bodies. And some I think are super easy to feel. For sure. Because some have higher or different energy. I think it also has to do with how many of those numbers we have in our life. Because we we have this funny thing where people's energy imprints on us. Mm. It's like an internal imprint that it leaves. And this has to do with AIDS being self-protecting. It's like a security measure where we can feel an environment that is unsafe and we will never want to be in that environment again because of the feeling it leaves. And then it matches up with other environments that feel similar and across the board, they will forever be unsafe to us, which can be a problem, but also saves our life a lot. So I think what happens is we get a sense of a number, the feeling gets imprinted, and then we can feel it off other people. But we have to be careful because we might be feeling their wing. We might be feeling them in stress. Mm -hmm. We might be feeling them at ease. We might be feeling their tri-type. There are so many factors. But I think there is true, true information in there Mm -hmm. that we actually have that we can use. And it at least offers us a starting point. I think that energy database thing gives us a better sense of who they aren't than who they are. So we're really good at saying, I really don't think you are a two, three, or four. Mm -hmm. But I think you might be a six, eight, seven, right? Are there any types that you can describe the feeling attached to them? Yes. Okay, go for it. (laughs) Okay, so what do ones feel like to you? Ones feel combative. 
they want to fight and they are right. And some of my favorite people in this world are ones. And I find that piece hard, but I love their heart. The way I describe ones is that they're rigidly contained. There is a feeling of them trying very hard to hold back because it's the proper right thing to do. And I just want them to bust out of there. There is something about that kind of energy that makes me really want to poke at it. And so if I do poke at it, it goes very badly. If you follow all the possible lines an eight can move to, one is the only one we never move to. So an eight, obviously the lines of integration and disintegration is eight to five. Mm -hmm. Then we have a wing to seven or to nine. And then tri-type, you can access all of the center of emotion, all of the thinking center, but we can't move in the gut center. So one is the only one we can't reach. So we need to remember that. I think there is something about that that might unlock the key to growth for us in a whole other way, which is if we can love ones well, then we are certainly growing as a person because we do not understand them. So I have a five daughter and energetically fives feel like the meh emoji. There's like a flat face situation. I cannot read them. So I've learned to feel a five by the lack of feeling that I get energetically from them. There is not a sense of fakeness, not even hiddenness. It's like a neutrality feeling. I can feel them pretty quickly. I have a friend who I think is a five. She puts on what I would call her telephone voice. Blank. (laughs) Monotone. What I've learned is there's an incredibly deep well of emotion going on there, but it doesn't come to the surface. And I feel feel like I'm broken because eights can sense these things. I can't sense it off a five. I've never been more shocked than to find out that I hurt my daughter in painful ways and found out like years later because she hit it so well. That scared the poop out of me. So now I need to be very careful when I feel that whatever that five energy is, I need to in my head go, they are feeling all the feelings. I'll just never know. I feel like that with my sister-in-law. She is a five and I have hurt her deeply. I was not, not even remotely aware. And like you said, it catches you so off guard. Every time I I find out I've hurt her, I'm blindsided. Mm -hmm. And it feels horrible because that is so not our intent. I want to qualify that the fives I've been interacting with are six wings. I actually suspect that I'd get a different read off a five with a four Mm -hmm. because there'd be more um, on the surface emotionality. Again, see, we're going to expand our database of energy as we get to know types. But for now, this is just what I have to go on. Sixes to me, I hate to admit this, they are my match in terms of power. They're the only number I feel intimidated by. And it has to do with the fact that counterphobic sixes lash out with all the power and energy that we do, but they have thinking. So there's something about the way they can attack me with their thinking (laughs) that I can't can't keep up up with. No. So I feel all the energy coming at me, all the confrontational energy combined with thinking, and I am undone. (laughs) A lot of the time I just feel like, okay, let's just take this into the boxing ring because then I'll beat you. (laughs) But I cannot beat you with your mind. Like, I, I don't mind what it takes. I don't. You do. You just do. Oh. It's, it's just slow, right? It's later it comes, but you can't do it on the... No. So anyway, that this is specifically counterphobic sixes or phobic sixes when they move to counterphobic. But, oh, wow. They're definitely my match. I think about phobic sixes. So phobic sixes 
in my life have aligned with me. I've learned that I am one of the panelists in a lot of my phobic sixes heads. So they say whenever they need to say a hard thing to someone or confront, it's me they confer with. Exactly. (laughs) I made a joke like that WWJD, they should have a bracelet and it stands for what would Joe do? (laughs) So phobic sixes feel energetically very different for the most part, although they can move to counterphobic. It's a continuum. And when they do that with me, it feels the same way as all counterphobic sixes feel. I just rarely see it because I'm a safe, trusted person to them. Okay, other eights. This is to all of you. You all feel so familiar and you feel, I call it big cat energy. It feels to me slouchy and loungy and grounded and comfortable in your body. That's the energy I feel. So if I walk into a room and there's someone that feels like they are who they are, they hold that with ease. So I, I know they're an eight. As eights, I feel like yeah. we're, we're comfortable in our own skin and we are okay to move in other directions when pushed. Uh, what has happened in one circumstance with an eight is I pushed and she said, F off. And that was profoundly eight because I was like, oh, I didn't energetically feel her withdraw. She just told me. Yeah. She just told me. And so there was no issue. I was like, okay, well, really, she asked for what she needed, and I'll give it to her. Cool. But there's this sense of like, shoulder to shoulder, we can totally be on the front lines together. And I'll always know where you stand. And that feels really safe. Even if they're unhealthy, they're still going to let me know exactly where they're at. And so, yeah, of course, that feels safe. I have more nines in my life (laughs) than any other number. They feel safe around us, I think. They don't impose themselves on me. They don't ask for what they need. And they have this pond without a ripple quality to them. They just feel like a hum, like a low level hum. All is still. The energy read I get off them is like two decibels (laughs) or something. It's like super low level. And so I'm not pulled in by their energy. I'm pulled in by their calmness and their steadiness. There's like a calm, steady vibe. We should interview people. What do we feel like to you? <laughs> All the head types will be like, what the are you talking about? <laughs> so how would you describe the Enneagram in your life now? What is your Enneagram circle like? The who's Enne- in? Who's out? I think it's still my close people. Our circle right now is very small. Mm-hmm. And this would be a good time to speak about the differences between Enneagram in Canada versus Enneagram in the US right now. There's a huge difference. Yes. Yeah. We even told anyone where we live. We're in Ottawa, Canada, by the way. <laughs> I don't think we've ever mentioned no, that. No, I don't think we have. But anyways, we're we're not in Nashville. Can you tell by the accent? <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't made big inroads here at all yet. And we suspect it's because of that faith tie. Down in the southern states, people are suspicious of it. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to hear about friends whose therapists are completely informed yeah. on the Enneagram. Yeah. And these are not church folk, right? They are recognizing that it has real value for your psychological life. I uh, even had a friend recently who texted me to tell me that her daughter had been accepted to the University of Ottawa psychology program and part of her curriculum is learning the Enneagram. So it's coming. Yeah, I would say each of us have about a handful of people who we can really dig deep with. We have maybe a few dozen who have done the test and been typed. But other than that, I think that's the end of I our circle. That's accurate. For now. Yeah. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of our relationship to the Enneagram, uh, how we interact with it. 
We want to hear how you guys have interacted with it. Does that energy database thing sound familiar to you? Uh, what is your Enneagram circle like? And next week, we're going to talk about our favorite resources. So we'll talk about our favorite books, our favorite podcasts, our favorite eights out there in the world who we know about and whose voices we love to listen to and read about. And so we will see you then. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor.